you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. First reading is John chapter 10, verse 1 to 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Acts chapter 2 from verse 41. So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lucia. Yeah. Um, well, good morning. Um, good morning. My name's Mike. Uh, if I've not met, yet met you, it's a joy to serve. Um, with Zach as one of the pastors here at City on a Hill. Um, hey, just a, a couple of quick things uh, before we start. Um, just to echo what Zach said about church camp. Uh, Dave Fowler, the speaker, I hadn't heard of him till about um, nine months ago. He spoke on a conference I was helping at, um, Y Conference. He was excellent, very down to earth. Not a flashy guy, but really clear Bible teacher and I think, and great at answering questions. Um, he's used to speaking to kind of sceptical uh, uni students and um, great at the, to- the topic, I think, will be excellent uh, for us. Um, comfort and chaos. Uh, serving God in a post-Christian world. I think it'll be, um, be really helpful for us. So uh, another reason uh, to come along um, 
to that. Uh, secondly, uh, gospel community leaders, uh, as I would have told you, um, please grab um, this for your groups. There'll be at the info desk uh, after the service. So please grab enough and don't have you know, five people grab enough for your groups because then other groups won't have that kind of stuff. You, you guys figure it out. One person from your group, I trust you leaders to, to do that job. Uh, I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to ask God's help uh, for this morning. As Zach said, it's a little bit of a different, uh, a different kind of sermon to what we normally do. Uh, I need God's help. We all need God's help. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that as we engage with your word, but what it's saying in the big picture, and try to think practically about our lives, Lord, I pray that you would get the glory, that you would be with us, you'd be moving our hearts to be transformed one degree of glory at a time. Uh, I pray for me, may I be clear, concise, helpful. Uh, I pray for our hearts, may we be ready to receive and be changed. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the most intense moments, I think, of our lives is, of course, the job interview. Hands up, who likes job interviews? Not too many. A couple, some people like them. There you go. There you go. Um, we'll chat afterwards. I'm, yeah, can't hear that. But it's sort of, I reckon it's like a first date, only worse, you know? Instead of trying to impress one person, often there's like three people, there's a panel, you're kind of on the other side of the table, you know, there's no kind of food or coffee or a glass of wine to help you relax, uh, no kind of mood lighting like this. There's, you know, bright kind of hospital-style office lighting, or worse, it's over Zoom. Uh, no background music, you're stuck in one spot. And then there's the questions. The questions that you, you, you ask, you know, questions like, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Uh, but I reckon the, the, the worst question, the hardest question I think to answer is, where do you see yourself in five years? Getting an amen from the front. Now, now that's, why is it hard? Well, you want to show some ambition, right? Like, you don't want to just be too casual, but at the same time, not too much, right? You, you're trying to show loyalty to a company that you haven't started at, uh, an industry you might not have even worked at before. Uh, in the future, it's so uncertain, right? Like, think back five years ago, 2018, the world was such a different place. And I'm sure many of us in this room, our lives look quite different. Just all the babies and, and noise that's kind of, you guys, they, they did not exist. Uh, only in God's imagination, that's what we tell our kids, uh, where, where were they, and kind of photos pre them. Um, but this question, right, it's a hard question. Where do you see yourself in five years? But I'm going to ask you guys anyway, where do you see yourself in five years? What do you want your life to look like? What I want you to do, real life, not an interview, have a chat person next to you, hopefully you met them. Say, where do you, yeah, ask them, where do, you want, where do you see yourself? Where's life look like in five years' time? And then we'll come back in 30 seconds. Go. All right, that's enough time. If I give you too much time, it'll be, you'll, your answers will become too serious and be too much pressure. But it's a hard question to, to honestly answer, um, even with yourself, but let alone others. You know, maybe for you, you want to own a home, pay off the deposit, see the world, move into management. You know, marriage, kids, retirement, even just be alive. Um, or maybe um, just survival. You're in this kind of season of just darkness, of hardship. And like, is there light? Hopefully in five years, it'll be way in the rear view mirror. But what about this? Spiritually. Where do you see yourself spiritually in five years? And as you immediately jump to answer that question, was God in the picture? And I don't just mean kind of in the background, uh, but was the things of God shaping the way you frame and answer that question? So I'm going to ask you this, a different question, not to share, but just to ponder. Where do you see your relationship with God in five years? 
Many of us, we have goals, we have amb- ambitions, aspirations around parts of our life, fitness, financial, family, fun goals. So we have a goal for our faith, a direction where under God, under His sovereignty, we would love to be praying that we are walking towards. Do we have a way of thinking about our life to promote the life that God has intended for us? We started, as Zach said, this series last week called The Vine, the Trellis and the Crow, looking at what it means to flourish in Christ, live how God has intended us, helping us think about what it means to abide, to live in Him, with Him. Last week, Zach so helpfully set it up, showing us from John 15 that Jesus, He is the vine and we are the branches. We are joined together with Him. And as He reminded us from John 15:3, this is a starting point that we need to keep going back to for this series, but for our whole life. In John 15, verse 3, Jesus says, Already... You are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And as we think of a life of flourishing, building a rule of life, this has to be a starting point. Jesus has already made us clean. Because of the gospel, the good news, because of Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection, that if we trust in him, our debt has been paid. We are already forgiven. We already have a future eternally secured with God as our Father in heaven forever. He is with us. We're joined together by Jesus. This is the good news, church. This is a gift. This is grace, God's unmerited kindness towards us. And yet this grace isn't a one-off transaction. You know, it's not an insurance policy. You kind of pop in your top pocket and just go and live your merry way. God doesn't leave us just hanging to, to chill, to do whatever. The very next verse that Jesus says in John 15 is this, that he, wants, he says, abide in me. There's a commandment. Go and do, go and live. We're called to abide in him, to live with Jesus as our king, as our Lord. Yet also, we can't bear fruit unless we are with him. And so we need to uh, differentiate between becoming a Christian and then flourishing as one. A Christian philosopher, thinker, writer, he, he, Dallas Willard, he so helpfully says this, that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. See, we're saved by grace, but grace continually transforms us. We walk with Him. Ephesians 2, uh, this concept's all throughout the Bible, by the way. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith, yet for works. We're created for works. Philippians 2, Paul says to work out your salvation. Not work for, not work towards earning or or get more, but work it out. Live it out. James 2.17, faith without deeds is dead. Jesus says, you'll know what kind of tree you are by the fruit that you produced. At our, at our old house, uh, Sarah and I, we, we moved in and we wanted to you know, get to know the neighbours, connect with them. Uh, and so what we do, well, Sarah makes excellent brownies. Uh, she she made, uh, made these brownies and I was like, all right, we've got a couple of lime trees, at least what I thought were lime trees. And I'm like, well, I'll just go and you know, bless our community with limes. Sarah's like, oh, are you sure they're like limes? Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so what I did, I, I got the, the basket, I think I've got it, yeah, there you go, there's the photo. Um, and uh, we walked around and said, hey, we're new, new neighbours, we want to get to know you, that kind of stuff. And um, we gave people brownies, which I'm sure they enjoyed, and 50% of the people enjoyed a lime. What turns out that there weren't two lime trees was actually uh, limes and unripe tangerines. 
we discovered, we discovered later on as, the, as the, the, the fruit was not, no longer green but started turning yellow and then eventually orange, uh, we had kind of you know, given our neighbors a bit of a, a dud present. When life gives you tangerines, there you go. Um, but you, you know what kind of tree it is by the fruit it produces, right? A tangerine tree, despite its color, it cannot turn into a lime tree. Uh, it's important, though, that we, we don't confuse the root with the fruit, right? We can't confuse the root with the fruit. God has saved us. He's rooted us into his vine. Right? That, that's our new identity as Christians. Uh, it's not the fruit we produce that makes us Christians, but it's the evidence that we are abiding, living in him. Paul says in, uh, in Galatians 5, like talks about what this fruit looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Keep producing these things. There's no law as to how much you keep going, bearing fruit. This is the, the picture of the, the flourishing life for the Christian. Now in John 10, as Alicia read for us, Jesus says that he's come to give us life to the full, life in abundance. What is this life? What's well, bearing fruit? It's knowing Jesus more. It's changing to become more and more like Jesus. It's, it's inward transformation, but it's also outward. The images of bearing fruit throughout the New Testament are also about multiplying. Jesus um, includes us into his great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. We've heard about this already from, from Simon. We are, we are joined together in God's global missionary project. We are, we are called to be a city on a hill, not, not just our church, our, our kind of logo, but we are called to be community, a community, a city on a hill in Brisbane, but bearing light and multiplying across the world, partnering in God's global movement in what He is doing as we see communities transformed by the light and the power and the beauty of the gospel. That's the vision of Christian flourishing, to be joined together with Jesus. And yet there's a problem, the crow. Now, I don't know if you think much about crows. Like, if, uh, if I'm honest, like, I, I don't really think much about crows. That's kind of a weird, you know, it's a bird, a blackbird. But actually, this week, uh, God's got a sense of humor. This week, I had two interactions with crows. Very unusual. Um, the first one, it was bin day, and the crow had kind of gotten the bin and knocked, I don't know how this happened, but it knocked over the bin. And so bin, all the bin stuff, you know, nappies, etc., kind of scattered across our front, you know, our front road, our driveway. Um, and the second one, I was kind of working downstairs in Queensland under the house, um, and, and I hear, um, you know, a Woolies delivery guy comes and he drops stuff off. And then a few minutes later, I just hear these kind of little, what I thought were little footsteps. I'm like, is the Woolies guy still there? It's a long time. My kids, they're not home yet, just me. And then I get up, and there's this crow, and he's gotten to my muesli. <sighs> Had to throw out that muesli. Um, so the crow, the crows come in and they, they take fruit. That's the picture uh, that Jesus gives in Matthew 13. The crow, he's the devil, the bird that comes and, uh, and takes the seed away before it can bear fruit. The seeds were the word of, of God. The gospel's going out meant to bear fruit, but the bird comes along and he devours it. You know, we're calling it in this series the crow, the picture of the devil, the evil one, the forces of of this world, and even really our, our earthly flesh. We need something. We need lots of things. We need help uh, to safeguard us against the crow because there's a real danger of drifting. There's a real danger of drifting. When we're left to our own devices, we drift and we are exposed. 
such a helpful quote from Don Carson. I think Zach shared with us last week. I'm just going to reuse it. Uh, he says this, People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, to faith, to delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. There's a real danger of drifting. Now, I learned a new term this week, a new term, a label uh, called ethically non-monogamous. Ethically non-monogamous. Um, hands up, who's heard of that before? A few people? A couple, only a couple of people. True, uh, um, true term. Well, here's what it means. It means ethical non-monogamy refers to any relationship dynamic which is in which partners consent to pursue sexual and romantic connections with multiple people. While monogamous people, they only have one serious relationship at a time, ethically non-monogamous or polyamorous people see no reason to limit their options this way. It's fascinating, isn't it? There's an ethic attached to it, a value, a virtue around it. Now, I didn't kind of stumble across this term in kind of the dark recesses of the internet, of Reddit or something like that. No, this is a real person, a friend actually, I saw on their Instagram bio. Um, someone who was, you know, very conservative, kind of the person that would kind of post up, you know, pretty right-wing things on, on Facebook, and you kind of cringe a little bit. I uh, went to a Christian school, identifying as a Christian. I was at their wedding uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and yet, they're now identifying as proudly, ethically non-monogamous, uh, having multiple relationships at a time. And you can see through the photos that they post. Another friend, uh, a previous church, he still goes there, and we, we used to catch up and read the Bible together, a uh, very conservative background, uh, wanted to you know, pray with me and follow Jesus. He's now working as a male, as a, he's male, he's working as a stripper. Now, not as a private kind of you know, second life that no one knows about, it's all over his social media. Now, some of you are thinking, right, Mike, why are you bringing up these extremes? Like, what's that got to do with me? Well, firstly, these, these practices, uh, living these lifestyles, are not as extreme as what they once were just 20 years ago. Uh, in fact, a study a few years ago, 2017, said that one in five people will engage in non-monogamous relationships at some point in their life, and that number is growing. Technology, social media, uh, it makes it more available and society more appealing and more accepting as our individualism runs while, as we seek to pursue our interests and dreams, and there are no limits because everything is tolerated and accepted, and sexuality really is at the heart of it. I'm not talking that this isn't a sermon on sexuality, but I just say a couple more things. You know, think about dating. Uh, now, look, there's always been sexual promiscuity. Uh, that's, that, that's, um, that, it doesn't take a historian to kind of discover that. But what's changed now is acceptance, particularly recently. It used to be, you know, you date, see if you can marry, um, sex after marriage, or maybe, you know, at some point during then, but now it's like you have sex, and then you're like, do I date them or not? Uh, there used to be a thing, you at least wait to the third date, now it's you get drunk and have sex and see if you're going to date this person. I read this article this week that now Dry July is, is giving people the, the scary reality of sober sex, they've got to figure that one out. Um, so people are just wrestling with these things. Uh, porn, of course, as well. Um, a study from the, the Barna Institute uh, in America, and I, I take our context is similar, but two-thirds of Christian men and one-third of Christian women say they have an ongoing struggle with porn. Now, I take it that we're probably a representative sample of that as well. Sexuality, it's the heart of our individualism. 
the heart of our expression, the heart of what we want our lives to be orientated about. Maybe that's explicitly or maybe that is in more subtle ways as the culture shapes us around us. Um, Carl Truman, who's wrote a, a helpful book uh, looking at the rise and uh, triumph of modern self, uh, and he's got a shorter, a shorter book as well, but this is from the longer one. He says this, that while sex may be presented today as little more than a recreational activity, sexuality is presented as that which lies at the very heart of what it means to be an authentic person. Sexuality, it's, it's your authenticity. It's, it's this deepest sense of identity. It's who I am, what we say. And it's connected to this deep desire to be known and to be in relationship. Yet the Bible, the gospel, the good news, it offers something deeper, more profound, and more satisfying. This picture of what it means to be human, that you are a child of God, made in His image. Jesus says that I am the vine. You're joined together as a source of life with, from me. I'm the good shepherd who's laid down his life for you. He's the husband who's faithfully, patiently waiting for his bride, despite her being unfaithful. That's the church. That's all of us. You have a father who loves you deeply, who cares for you. He wants you to flourish. He's joined you to the vine. And yet without a trellis, without a supporting structure, we drift. We become like those around us. You know, maybe not all at once, maybe in subtle ways, but we do. Through our attitudes, our beliefs, and our practices. Rory Shiner, a pastor over in WA, he says this that every Christian he goes to every Christian goes to two churches. They go to their Sunday church and they go to the world's church. Both places are heavily forming us and forming us to be one of two things. Christian, brother, sister. How is the world forming you? The world's church. In what ways is the world's church making you more vulnerable to the attacks of the crow? All right, well, let's flip around again. What does it look like to flourish? What does it look like to abide in the vine? Well, in John 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief, the devil's trying to offer something different, countercultural, something that seems so counter to the gospel, seems good, promises much. But Jesus, he offers abundant, eternal life. What does this look like? What's the heart of the life that God has called us to now? Well, on one hand, it's simple. Uh, there's a, a lawyer that comes up to Jesus uh, once and he asks Jesus, hey, what's the most important rule of the Bible? What's the most important command? Like, what should I do? Jesus says, love God, love others. He gives him two for one. They're pretty simple, right? That's the Christian life. Love God, love others. Easy, right? Well, Jesus actually said a little bit more than that, even in those verses. Check out from Matthew 22, 36. He, Jesus says uh, to the lawyer, the teacher of the law, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, all your strength. You're not just love God in kind of this vague feelings way, uh, whatever you feel like God is to you, then just go and do that. Put God in a box and, and sort of use him or it or they to justify your own expression of self. No, no. Love God in a devoted way. There's work to do as we need to see actually who he is, how he's revealed himself to us. 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, loving others, it's far more than just, you know, don't be a jerk. You know, don't let your bin rubbish spill out in the street. You know, loving others, it's, it's, it's hard as yourself, right? It, it's a life of looking at how much we love ourselves and trying to apply that to others. Paul even says, consider others better than yourself in Philippians 2. It's hard. It takes a lot of work and intentionality. Let me say this again, church, this does not save us, but this is the life that God wants for us, to flourish. It's different to being happy. It's not what the Bible promises, but it's good for you, and it's joyful, and it is our best life. In order to abide in the vine, we need intentionality. We need a framework. This is where the trellis comes in. Trellis, it's a bit of a weird word. Like We don't really use it uh, too much in our everyday society, except if you're maybe going uh, to Bunnings in a certain aisle or if you're, uh, if you're a vine grower. But here's a photo of a trellis. Um, Bron Ford uh, went to Israel. She took this photo, beautiful photo of a vineyard. And uh, you see there, there's a supporting structure. And what's, what's the supporting structure their job to do? To keep the vine on path. Otherwise, the vine would just kind of go anywhere. It'd be exposed uh, to crows and other things, and it wouldn't flourish. It wouldn't do what it's intended to do. There are some guardrails and even restrictions to help this plant be fruitful and healthy. As we're thinking about the trellis uh, today and over this series, we, it's a framework to help us live a devoted life. Uh, as Alicia read to us, turn, to me, uh, turn with me in Acts, Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, uh, open them up to Acts chapter 2. We see a picture of what a devoted community can look like. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one there at the info desk as well. But in Acts chapter 2, we see this incredible picture of a devoted life. And notice there's structure there. Uh, so those who received his word were baptized. And, those, and there were added about 3,000 souls that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received um, their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, to their number day by day, those who are being saved. It's this beautiful picture. And notice it's not just this kind of organic, people just kind of woke up and did what they want, led by the Spirit, and this happened. There's a real intentionality behind it. It was a framework. They were living lives, you could say, driven by grace-driven effort. And people were being saved. I'm going to just quickly point out five, five directions. Uh, you can see some intentionality. They were devoted. They were upward in worship. You see there, they, they gathered in the temple, like church, daily. Uh, they were devoted to God. They, they saw um, Him in, in awe. They were praising Him. They were downward, devoted in the Word. Uh, they came to sit under the teaching of the apostles, devoted downwards. They were outward in service, devoted to, to loving and serving other sold uh, things so that anyone could have what they needed. They were also devoted outward in mission. I love, even as I read that there, it struck me that day by day they gathered, day by day God saved people. 
God saved people as they lived a life of gospel intentionality. Uh, they had favor with outsiders. People wanted a part of that. The word was preached. People were saved. They were outward in mission. And finally, they were devoted inward together in community, having all things in common, uh, gathering not just uh, once a week, not just kind of in a big gathering in a temple, but also breaking bread in homes, doing life together. Now, you know, we look at this and sometimes we feel like either this is ridiculous or like this just seems amazing. How do we do it? But it's such a different context. We need to just take a moment just to consider. We can't just copy and paste the Acts 2 community to us in 2023 Brisbane. And a few quick reasons. One, like they couldn't read, or sorry, less than 5% could read, and, 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 um, and so therefore they relied on, on the public word in a way that we don't. They needed people to actually read and explain. They're living under persecution, uh, so they needed each other. They were in pro- close proximity. Uh, there was an, an, a unique moment in salvation history. This is just 50 days um, after, sorry, this is just 40 days after Jesus, Jesus had, uh, 50 days after the, the, let me get the dates right, Pentecost, which is 50 days after the Passover, uh, just a few days after Jesus had ascended. He said he's going to send his spirit out and God explodes the church. So this isn't kind of just, we should expect this every single day. And yet, these directions though, it's what God calls us to do all throughout Scripture to be devoted to Him in worship, in, in learning more from Him in the Word, in reaching out in love, with mercy, kindness, service, in mission, together as a community. That's the picture of the Christian life, what we are called to do. And that's why we need this trellis to keep us on path. Now, just think quickly throughout God's salvation history. For thousands of years, Israel had a pretty good trellis. Uh, God gave Moses the, the Ten Commandments, uh, which is essentially love God, love others, and a bit more unpacking, and then some more unpacking over 600 commandments uh, in the law. There was a pretty good framework about how what God requires, what it means to live um, the good life, what it means to live a life of flourishing. There are three festivals each year. There was a Sabbath uh, each week. Uh, there were times of work and rest, rules and structures, which helped the people of God, the community of God, live together in community and live the life that God had called them to. Now, this law, um, it's different for us. We aren't under the law. We have freedom in Christ. But the freedom isn't to do whatever we want. The freedom is to flourish. You know, if you've got a, a goldfish, I used to have a goldfish as a kid. If you had a fish, you, you take the fish out of the bowl, put him on the road. He's not free. She's not free, right? Freedom is to live as one is intended to. The train, you take the train off the tracks, that, that's not flourishing. There's guardrails in place for that train to flourish. It's not freedom without boundaries. Fast forward from the Old Testament uh, covenant community to early church, right? We see Acts 2, a glimpse of that. Uh, Just beyond that, um, what the early church, uh, they had, they had two things. They had a rule of faith, uh, which is, uh, you know, statements of faiths, creeds, confessions, what we believe in, what we stand for. Uh, We still use them today, of course. Uh, No Jesus, make Jesus known, and there's things underneath that. We have statements of beliefs, etc., But the other thing the early church had was not just a rule of faith, but a rule of life. What's the rule of life? Well, um, it's the way they lived out what they believed, the way they organized their lives uh, in order uh, to to live as God had intended them. What's this rule of life? Well, it's important to distinguish it's not rules for life. 
It's not rules for life. There's a popular author, speaker, psychologist, Jordan Peterson, who's written a book, 12 Rules for Life. You know, he packed out stadiums across Australia last year. Uh, people are itching to hear something, itching to hear some structures and framework for their life. Now, there's, look, regardless of what you think of Jordan Peterson, you know, there's maybe some helpful things there, but this isn't what we're talking about. You know, as helpful it is to pet a cat when you encounter one on the street, that's rule number 12, or to stand up straight with your back and you know, shoulders back, you know, that might be some wisdom there, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about a rule of life. What is it? What is this rule of life? Well, I'm just going to quote lost my place. I'm just going to quote from, uh, from Joel Deacon, who uh, has written um, a lot of this uh, in his booklet. Uh, Joel Deacon says this, that he's a pastor in uh, City on Hill, Wollongong. Uh, he says that the, single, the word rule comes from the Latin word regula, which means a straight piece of wood. A rule of life is a trellis that helps us abide in Christ and live fruitful lives. Like a trellis, a rule of life curbs our tendency to wonder and support our fra- supports our frail efforts to grow spiritually. In essence, a rule of life is the deliberate and mindful strategy to prioritize God at the core of all our actions. It comprises a personalized set of spiritual disciplines that offer, that offer guidance and organization for us to stay attuned to and mindful of God in every aspect of our lives. So this word rule of life, uh, it comes from the same root word as we get ruler from. Um, you know, remember back in school, or maybe you still use these in engineering or architecture, remember the ruler, like the, the wooden ruler? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty hopeless drawer. I, uh, I could tell you that story, but I reckon my four-year-old daughter is about to o- overtake me in drawing skills. But if I were to draw a straight line, right, especially if I were to close my eyes, like I would battle. I need, still today, I need rulers if I'm going to resemble anything towards straightness. Even then, it could be a challenge. But this is what the rule, a ruler does, right? It keeps us straight. And so the rule of life, it, it's help, helping us to stay on the path uh, that God has called us. Uh, if you check out um, the podcast, there's been a podcast that Sidon Hill are doing, uh, excellent. Um, episode one was excellent. We're going to be doing weekly episodes. Uh, our senior pastor, Guy Mason, he says this slightly more concisely. A rule of life is a conscience, intentional plan to put rhythms and practices to keep Jesus at the center of everything. That's what it is. Now, why do we need one, right? Uh, like, you might be thinking, is this something else to add into my already busy life? Um, you know, we're saved by grace, so you could say, yeah, you don't need one. Like, this isn't a requirement, your ticket to heaven. God isn't going to uh, love you more uh, if you have a rule of life. We actually are called, God has called us to live intentional lives in His Word. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with uh, irreverent, irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also the life to come. Now, the Greek word train, training, it's the word gymnase or gymnasio. Now, what does that sound like? Gymnasium. That's right. Well done. Um, it's the, you know, going to the gym, right? Who's, uh, who's been to the gym in the last month? There you go. A um, bunch of you. Well done. 
Uh, maybe more of you have gym memberships and, and haven't. Um, you, know, you go to the gym, you sign up for the gym, you know, typically January 1, that's when memberships peak. Um, you're like, yep, a new year, new me. Um, and and you, know, you give it, but the, the way you get results, right, is by, by going. Uh, you don't become, um, you don't hit fitness goals, you don't become more buff or whatever you want to do by just getting a gym membership. You, know, you can't just get a gym membership and expect growth. The same way, you don't just become a Christian and get spiritual biceps, you know. We need to train. We need to train. That's why, we have, that's why we're thinking about this concept of a rule of life. Now, again, you might be thinking, this sounds you know, wacky, different, but actually all of you already have a rule of life. All of you already have a rule of life. You already have rhythms, practices about your life. You, you have a morning routine. Uh, maybe it's, you know, you get up, have coffee, have a bit of a scroll, uh, maybe, you know, the baby wakes you up and you're up at 4 a.m., or whatever it is. You know, we've all got rhythms of life. Even at night time, what does your nighttime rhythm look like? You know, shower, brush your teeth, Netflix, a bit of a binge. Like, what does it look like? It looks different for all of us, but we all have patterns and practices in our life. Just some of us are more intentional and thoughtful with them than others. And so what's the scaffolding of our life that's going to help us grow as a Christian over the next five years? Now, again, not talking about adding more things in. It's not 10 steps to make you a better Christian. We've already got these rhythm structures in life. We're going to hear from um, Rod and Zach actually in a few moments about some, some practical uh, ways what it looks like for them. Um, you know, many of us, many of you I know, we, we've got great things set up. You know, start the day with a, with a psalm. No Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no bed. You know, um, reflect each day. What am I thankful for? Make sure I read the Bible with kids. Say grace before meals. Do everything I can to, to be here on Sundays. Setting up direct debit giving so I can be intentionally generous with God has given me. And I catch up with, with one of you and um, you, know, you tell me, oh, hey, it's been 148 days since I've looked at porn. I've got this structures app in my life that tells me that. It's great. Praise God for the structures, the intentionality that, that you already have in your life towards a life of godliness. With this, we need to get to the heart. What does God want from us? Obedience. He wants us to follow and obey. Eugene Peterson says discipleship, what it looks like to follow Jesus, it's long obedience in the same direction. It's not going to change overnight. It's long obedience in the same direction. I'm always so encouraged when I see many of you that have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. Obeying Jesus for years and years. There's an old lady I, uh, I met at Bible college, and she said to me, hey, hey, Mike, do you want me to add you to my Bible verse daily group, text group? I'm like, sure. And it's been five years, and like, I think she's missed two days, maybe in the last five years, she sends me multiple Bible verses, and often like how she's been encouraged by them. Incredible. Like, so encouraged by her, her faithfulness. This is a picture of devotion. What are we on about as a church? Knowing Jesus and making him known. Together, as a community, being a city on a hill, light to the world. Does the way that you organize or maybe let life take you, does that help or hinder this? Now, what are the things that, that are helping you? Now, we can often be introspective and critical, but what are the things that are, that are going well for you that are actually helping you grow? Keep going in them? What are the practices in your life that you need to stop? 
that you know and trusted friends uh, or people, if they saw them, they would know that they aren't good for you. What do you need to stop? What do the things need to refine? The things that, you know, are sort of going okay, maybe, but actually you could tweak them and they'd be a lot better. You know, maybe you've got a rhythm of kind of reading the Bible. Uh, first thing you get up and it's great, but you're still like lying down in bed and you're not really awake. Maybe, you know, it could just be, you know, getting up, I don't know, doing three squats, splashing some water on your face and then sitting up and reading the Bible. Like maybe a simple tweak like that could actually bear fruit as you're engaged as God speaks to you through His Word. Now, before we kind of think a bit too much more about the rule of life as we will over the next coming weeks, particularly in our gospel communities, what are, what are five dangers of rule, the rule of life? Now, you might have already objected loudly in your mind towards this thing. So, all right, this view. Firstly, the first objection is forgetting that we are clean. Yes, we need to remember that actually we are clean already. This doesn't make us more clean, more right with God. But He's done that already. We're saved by grace. We need to have that. Secondly, um, it could deny the work of the Spirit. Apart from Jesus, we can do no good work. And, and we're joined together by, to Jesus through the Spirit. Uh, it's only through Him that we are able to, to, to bear fruit. I heard an analogy once that uh, if you're a Christian, you've... Um, Though you've, you've got, you'd be given a gun, and uh, what the scripture is, it's ammo. How are we going kind of intentionally kind of loading up our gun for the spiritual war that we are in? Uh, it was through intentionality, right? If you're a Christian, you sit back, do nothing. Well, like you shouldn't expect growth because actually this God given us the means of grace through his word, through community, through prayer, through church, so many things that, that are in the guide as well. Thirdly, third objection is, to, well, it makes it all about us could be temptation. You see this. We can overly personalize, individualize this thing, and we can kind of have 250 different rules of life that aren't aligned at all. No, this isn't like this self-helpy, individualistic project. You know, we're called to love God and love others. And so by implementing some of these things, by being a bit more intentional, this should help build the body up together. Uh, we should be bringing others in to help shape our rule of life and critique it and speak into it. Fourthly, uh, fourth objection is, well, success can lead to pride and fear, despair, failure, despair. Um, some of you, um, naturally, you're, you're a goal setter, uh, you love these things, you'll do this, you'll start tomorrow and you'll kill it. You'll nail it. Like, you'll just start it, you'll, you'll, set, you'll set up a brand new team, routine, you'll, have, you'll hit your 21 days, you'll make it a habit and you'll smash it. There's a danger there that your head gets bigger. You, know, you start to feel good about yourself. You start to get puffed up and you, you, get, you put more trust in your practices than the God who has called you to do them. And the, the converse, and I, I take it that this is probably maybe more of us, uh, especially those of us who have a hard season of life, um, young families, a lot of young families in the room, um, we're thinking, man, like, I can't even like, do anything. Like, how do we, like, fear does not mean you're a fa- say Failure does not um, in this. Like failing to tick goals... It shouldn't lead us to despair. You know, like the gym, right? You, um, you don't go for a week, right? Do you then just cancel your gym? Or maybe you do. But do you then like, stop caring about health? Do you just throw it all away? Well, you can just get back up again. Every day is a new day. God's mercies are new again. Um, but also being realistic. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a sec. Um, being realistic about where you're at. Like not comparing yourself to others. But what does it look like for us all to take a few little baby steps forward? 
towards holiness. Now, and fifthly and finally, rigidity. Now, there can be a danger of this inflexibility, right? You set a goal and you're going to stick to that goal even though life is taking you in a different direction. Um, you, might, I mean, you might be like, all right, I can't come to church because I haven't read my Bible yet. You know, that, that's a thing that's kind of rigid. Now, you need some flexibility with life. And we might need to be readjusting our rule of life. It's not this kind of set in stone thing that can't change. So we all have one. We all have a rule of life. I argue it's worth pursuing intentionality. How do we do it? Well, as I said, we're going to figure this out over the next couple of months. We're going to start a journey. We'll continue a journey together. Uh, it's not about having a billion to-dos. Uh, there is this guidebook, as I said. Uh, it's also available online as well. Uh, now, this is not the gospel, right? But there's like lots of really helpful things um, in that. Um, John Calvin, um, the reformer from the 16th century, uh, he says this, that true wisdom consists in two things, knowledge of God and knowledge of the self. I think this is um, so helpful um, as we think about rule of life, we think about the trellis, think about structure. Such a helpful way to think about it. Starting off with God. What is God? Who is God? As he has revealed himself to us. Not who do we think, who do we want God to be, but who is he? What does he require from us? And how do we live lives that glorify him? How do we pray to him, praise him, thank him, confess to him, starting with him, then moving to us and and looking to an honest assessment of of where we're at? Um, Strengths and weaknesses. What's going well? Bringing others in. Um, What are the habits and practices? We talked about that before. Um, Thirdly, starting small. Um, Again, like some of us might feel um, exasperated, overwhelmed by all this stuff. Maybe like you haven't picked up the Bible for yourself in three months. If you read a verse a week, like that's progress. You know, praise God. Um, you know, maybe it's you make a resolve to be here. You know, nothing's going to stop me from getting here. Like I'm going to do all I can. I'm going to be here, rain, hail, or shine. Uh, I'm going to, you know, we're going to be to be regular at gospel community. Uh, I'm going to do what I can to to commit to God's people, because I know that's good for me. Uh, we need to be intentional, but flexible, because life happens. And, uh, and lastly, peer review, not academic sense, but we need people to speak into this, as I said before. So church, what do we want our lives, but also our community to look like in five years' time? I love the prayer that um, Zach showed us last week, that our church would continue growing as a city on a hill, shining the light of Christ as we abide, remain in Christ through grace-driven intentionality, fixing our eyes on who Jesus is, what he says, and who he is making us to be. I'm going to pray that prayer for us now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for your gospel. We do thank you that because of Jesus, we are clean. And Lord, you have called us uh, to an incredible and challenging life, to love you, to love others as ourselves. Lord, I do pray that our church would continue growing as a city on a hill, shining the light of Christ as we remain in Christ, as we abide in him through grace-driven intentionality. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on who Jesus is and what he says and who he is making us to be. Help us to be, not just in name, but in the way 
we live. A city on a hill that gives you glory, that brings light to each other and the world. We pray this for your sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.